welcome to the Anxious in Austin podcast. Yeah, welcome. Um, I am Dr. Marianne Stout with the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin. Yeah, I'm Dr. Thomas Smithyman um, of my own practice. Yes. Um, By the way, an online practice, which is looking pretty, uh, you're pretty so ahead of the curve at the moment. You yeah. are like a genius. Yes, yeah. I know. I this said it could never work. And look, here we are. Everyone's doing it. Now everyone is doing it. And like... I'm even thinking like this has been so nice way. Then hopefully if the world ever returns to normal, I'm like, I would like to do a couple of days a week, like do it from home. Look at you. That's I an know. about face from totally. uh, our, our previous conversation. Okay. Yeah. This is because I hate change. I hate change. And so mm -hmm. the idea of anything different, I it has to be like dragged, you know, kicking and screaming to do. Then once I do it, I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. And experience so, uh -huh. it, habituate a bit to it, feel it out. Okay. So then, all, it, all it took to make you be comfortable doing online was really just a global pandemic. Just a global pandemic. Nothing big. That's all it takes. To, now that I know that that's how I get comfortable with change, let's do okay. it all the time. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so today's topic, mm -hmm. which is, I'm going to totally call you out on this. This is all Thomas was interested in the role of self-esteem and anxiety, which is great. I will mm -hmm. say that I packed a lot of research into the past 24 hours. Fantastic. <laughs> good, good, fresh. good. Right. So, yes, I'm curious. Um, Self-esteem and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Tell me why this week, because we tend to do these about like what we're interested in in the moment or what's coming up yeah. a lot in our sessions. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, why why was this on top of mind for you now? You know, I, I think because um, like it's just been coming up a lot. Um, and I think it's been coming up a lot because of the quarantining. It's interesting, right? Um, like I hadn't thought about this. I'm like, I just noticed that I, I was talking about it a lot and sort of working on it a lot with like multiple people. And I think it's because with quarantine, people are like, what, what they're able to sort of behaviorally go and do is so limited. Sure. And I feel like the, like those, the underlying self-esteem stuff was just coming up more. And there was like more space to kind of work on internal things because huh. there was just, there was just, yeah, there was just less behavioral go out and do this exposure and talk to this person. And, you know, especially, you know, with the amount of social anxiety that I do there, like it's, it's more limited in the external um, sort of behavioral experiments and things. So Definitely. all of a sudden there was, yeah, people were, the internal stuff is coming up more. I think also probably because the isolation was getting people depressed and triggering. That's what we talked about last time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, triggering the negative stuff. So it was a lot more accessible and people were expressing it more. And there was the space to work on it. And so it was having me really kind of yeah. like think about this stuff. And it, I was just getting into it with a lot of people. Yeah. Have you found that coming up for you at all? 
well, so this is the trickier thing, right? How my love of self-compassion, mm-hmm. um, I think the work that I do tends to be a little more internal than you. Cause I don't think I do like, whereas obviously I do a lot of exposure work. I don't think I focus as much on the exposure in every session as you mm. do. I think I tend to do a lot more like of some insight oriented work, um, with it. And, um, I think that is why it's led me to such interest in self-compassion, even though self-compassion and self-esteem, we should talk about this, are mm-hmm. different things, but I think that's probably why it, yeah, why my interest in self-compassion has come up because mm-hmm. there is this big piece, obviously, in anxiety, right, where a huge piece of anxiety says you won't be able to cope. Like you, yes. Yes. you won't be able to cope with this. This is going to be whatever prediction I'm making for the future mm-hmm. is the, you won't be able to cope with it. And so that really gets at, right, this like self-efficacy, can I how do I feel about myself and can I do a mm-hmm. thing and am I capable, which kind yeah. of bolted to some of this, like mm-hmm. um, so how I feel about myself, how, what kind of regard I hold myself in. Um, mm-hmm. And so just, I think naturally this like self-esteem, um, self-efficacy and anxiety piece kind of go hand in hand in that way. And so like when you do a lot of this work, I think there is like ways of talking about like this belief that I won't be able to cope. Um, and so I think that has led me a lot to like taking the self-compassion, how you feel about yourself, how much shame and guilt you're mm-hmm. giving yourself because of your belief that you can't cope. So totally. I think we're yeah. kind of talking about similar things in this. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do think the, like all those, um, uh, all those different kind of, I guess, frames or pieces Venn diagram like, yeah, yeah it, it all like the stuff like overlaps with each other I, I think it's maybe like the certain angles that get emphasized more if you use one frame versus another one because like like let's, let's say low self-esteem and depression those are certainly related mm-hmm. right and um shame self-esteem depression related self-compassion is in you know in some ways an attempt to be kinder to yourself, self-criticism, shame is a, is a way of lowering, you know, these things are all interrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think putting the different um, frames on it, though, can lead you to get different nuances and sort of points out different kind of techniques, some of which I think will resonate more for some people than others. I totally agree. Yeah. I, I do think with the anxiety piece, um, I sort of, as I thought about it, because I like spent some time today really like trying to put, put all the thoughts in order, and I came to the same kind of conclusion that you came to with the role that self-esteem and anxiety, like how they interact, and around this idea of um, if you have this higher self-esteem, then you believe that you can handle things mm-hmm. you, you believe that you, you can handle it so you're not um you're not going to um you don't need to be as anxious because if you even if you predict oh it might not go great maybe it'll be okay maybe it won't be um you don't need to have anxiety which is a threat response to it because you're like well if it goes well great if it doesn't i'll be fine 
Whereas I'll like able to cope with it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas for like low self-esteem, it's the understanding, and this is like in the research, but also in the sort of talking to people clinically. If it goes wrong, it will destroy me. It'll destroy me for this time, and I will not be able to handle it. My my feelings about myself, my mood, everything is it's like this, but it's fragile. And if something goes wrong, I'm going to just be I'm going to drop. It's going to be crushing to me, and it'll be so painful. So I therefore need to worry about what's going to happen and try to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you like people who've got higher self-esteem, especially, and this is part of what I'm going to emphasize, but there's some there's an anchor, there's like some solidity to it. It means that you can weather the storm. You're not mm-hmm. not knocked down to to the bottom of the ocean when when something hits you. you know? Yeah, that distress tolerance is there. I can mm-hmm. yeah. It can yeah. it can it's not that like it can't be bad because I won't be able to cope. It's it can be bad because I will be able to cope. It will be totally. uncomfortable, but totally. I, I will be able to I know that I can get through it. Um, totally. I have belief that I can get through it. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, a, which is a decatastrophizing too, like in the anxiety, um, like styles of thinking, catastrophizing, it's going to be awful and I can't handle it. Like this, like having this higher self-esteem, self-efficacy anchored. Um, yeah. Might be bad, but I can handle it. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. yeah is going to reduce anxiety and we know from doing the the cognitive kind of work that shifting the the probability overestimation so getting people to say oh yeah it's not that likely that makes some impact but getting people to believe they can handle it Mm -hmm. makes a huge impact yeah that's always the question right and working on some Mm -hmm. of the cognitive restructuring pieces like okay now like all the other ones are like What's the likelihood that it will happen? All these things to say, like, it's probably not going to happen. But the one that, like, resonates so much more is, okay, let's say it happens. <laughs> then what? Yeah. <laughs> what then do you do? What do we do? Mm-hmm. How bad will it be? How will you mm-hmm. handle it? How, How we long get will it last? It? Mm-hmm. What, what is the plan? Let's and that, it. yeah, that gives you so much more, um, yeah, like, solidity. Because mm-hmm. so, you're figuring out, like, oh, yeah, it's not that I can't have it happen because I won't be able to cope. It, it may happen, and this is mm-hmm. how I can cope with it. This is how I can tolerate it. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, to, and that's and for people that who... That is like... Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, like, that is very, you know, that is implicit. That is internal. That is not, our, you know, it's not dependent upon external circumstances. Ah, I will... I'm going to emphasize... I'm going to emphasize that piece a lot because that's one of the, the, the ways that this has really gone for me. Is is the internal external stuff? Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think especially because of my social anxiety um, sort of background. But but I did want to uh, give you a quote here. Oh yay! Bring it on. Normally you come with the quotes, but <laughs> well, I do. I'm not gonna lie. I do have all my like oh, printouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so okay. I I came with I came with a quote um, because um, I just came across it today. So, I don't know. My phone's been reading my text with you, I guess. Um, so, here's a quote. Google believed you needed to, to have this quote. <laughs> the algorithm. Um, here we go. It's none of my business what people think about me or say about me. 
I am what I am and I do what I do. I expect nothing and accept everything. It makes life so much easier. That is a quote from Anthony Hopkins. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that like a, why am I, that's resonating. Isn't that like a quote that like what other people say about me behind my back is none of my business? Isn't there some? Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've discussed that before in our, yeah. our groups and like stuff. A, it's, it's, uh, yeah. like a, I've heard multiple people reference that part for social yeah. anxiety. Yeah. 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 But, but his whole thing I really liked. Mm-hmm. It's none of my business what people think about me or say about me. I am what I am. I do what I do, which is very internally mm-hmm. sort of validating. I expect nothing and accept everything. Talk about that as a, you know, this decatastrophizing outcome thing. I'm going to be fine with yeah, what whatever the, the outcome is. Pieces yeah. are. And I agree with him. It makes life so much easier it does because you can't control the external pieces right Mm -hmm. like you just cannot Mm -hmm. and that that's that's one of the core things right of like you know uh, we tell this all the time but the attempts to control the uncontrollable the largest source of stress in people's lives and in a the deepest i think currently deepest level of understanding i see for reducing anxiety is letting go of trying to control outcomes or demanding things go a certain way, mm-hmm. which is obviously very hard to do. It's a big shift, but Easy when that shift is made, it's a really deep anxiety reduction. Yeah. So mm-hmm. great, great quote, great I quote. I love it. Yeah. But, um, Thank you, Anthony Hopkins. I know. But Thanks, I, Hannibal Lecter. Right. I know. I, I feel like <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard a quote from him on anything before. So I was like very impressed. I was like, oh. Anthony Hopkins. Hannibal Sir Hopkins Anthony right Hopkins. There. <laughs> Sir, Sir, Sir Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, I, I didn't realize. That's cool. But I guess what, what it was making me, um, I guess where I've been heading kind of with, with this is, which he sort of alludes to, right? Um, the none of my business, what people think about me or say about me, that is kind of leaving the external stuff externally not mm-hmm. absorbing it right mm-hmm. and the next line i am what i am and i do what i do that's very like rather, focus. rather than my validation and my esteem being based on what people think about me or say about me it's clearly based on who i am what i do and i'm fine with it like there's a lot there's so much wisdom kind of packed into this mm-hmm. so um which is interesting right this side note it's coming from an actor. I know. I was thinking about like in LA, all the insecurity and mm-hmm. yeah. Well, acting itself is setting yourself up for rejection in a way that almost nothing else is. And sure. it's your success being based so much on uh, other people saying things about you being a celebrity, you being judged all the time. So in some ways, like, I don't know how old the guy is, but he Not has young. probably had to go through this process of learning how to survive and cope and be okay. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think, I think in some ways that's, it's surprising, but also kind of not surprising. Yes. As to who is going to be successful at this, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. People, gonna... people drop out because of the, the external stuff. But, but anyways, like what, what it was like where I've been sort of heading with this is 
again, a bunch of this is social anxiety initially driven, right? But um, this, uh, my, my value, my worthiness, who I am, um, being based on uh, what, what uh, people think about me or really what I perceive or imagine people to be thinking about me. It's very much this, you know, like even, even the attention is like, I'm interacting, but what are they thinking about me? Mm-hmm. How am I doing? How am I being judged? Like it's inherently this, how am I being externally judged? And if it went badly, I'm crushed, I'm terrible, it means I'm terrible. Unfortunately, even research-wise, if it goes well, that is not actually a solution. This is no. the problem with externally basing your validation is we know from research that if socially anxious people get good feedback, um, their anxiety goes up. So it's like, I got to keep up with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, which is... I got to hold that, mm-hmm. that level. I got to be that perfect again. Yeah, now they're expecting more. Now the pressure is even higher. Right, which does that like Yerkes Dodson curve, right, of like the pressure is so high and so my performance is again going to go low. (laughs) Totally. And and there are like, like this is just this initial idea of like, well, how much are you basing your your self-perception on external approval and validation, right? So that it's a dangerous place to be for like many reasons because one person can think you're great, one person can think you're terrible. Mm-hmm. So you're up and then you're down, right? And then who's, who's right and who's wrong? Add in the fact that there are so many biases in processing of external information. So maybe you do great, but you interpret it as doing terrible. Mm-hmm. Or, and then even in the case that you're like, I did well. Well, yeah, but now I have to do well again, or I really do have to live up to the standard. And, you know, and that took so much work, and I had no control over how well I did, and it was yeah, you know, and just based on these I, random people, and what if the next people aren't going to yep. think well of me? And I escaped just because I used the right safety behaviors. Otherwise, if they'd I seen... memorize that joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they'd seen the real me, and they, they'd seen my flaws, then... It would have gone terrible. I had to hide my flaws more. So there's, there's, we don't need to get super in depth on, I think, on that piece because, you know, I think we kind of get this external stuff is, I mean, mm-hmm. it's processing as external processing biases. And it's just, I think, in a felt sense, super painful to be basing your value on oh, something how you can't control. Are, yeah, because yeah, you can't control it. And there's so many reasons that other than you that will determine whether people respond well or not. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Which, sorry, this mm-hmm. makes me think of, like, self-compassion, self-compassion, right? Something oh, you totally. do have some more control of ways of offering yourself kindness and soothing and you know, that like normalizing that like this is hard and everybody struggles with hard things and 100%, not over identifying yeah. with the struggle, but not suppressing it, like being more present focused. Sorry. Sorry. My brain goes there. Like, okay, yeah, no. what to do about it? Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes sense. So, so like, I guess what I'm, what I'm 
thinking about is, I mean, you're heading in this direction too with this, but if the external stuff, if basing your sense of value and perception externally, mm-hmm. like what if that itself is not the way to do it? Because like in, say, social anxiety research, for instance, part of what you're doing is, well, it's videotape so that you can correct how you believe people are perceiving you, mm-hmm. which is super, super useful. But it's still, it's still, it's still nuanced to external. Like, oh, this is how people will see me, which Anthony okay. Hopkins is not doing. Yeah. Sorry, this is making me go down. I mean, I haven't fully formed this thought, uh-huh. but it's like ringing lots of bells for me on what I had wanted us to talk about also. Cool. If cool. that's yeah. okay to add a little Do it. Yeah, go for it. here. So I had been thinking. I am not in control of the outcome. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have 50% of the control in this interaction. Sure. Um, so I had wanted us to talk about, we texted about this earlier, um, like something that I thought would be important since we don't normally follow kind of topical things. Um, but with the pandemic, right, it seemed very important for us to talk about like some of the anxiety impacts with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were talking about like, okay, what to do our next one on our next podcast. And I had said like, well, I do think it would be kind of important for us to talk a bit about like the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. given all the things that, that came after, even though we don't normally stay so topical. Um, so I was mm-hmm. trying to find a way to kind of shoehorn in, you know, some racial injustice and all these cultural pieces into this talk about like self-esteem and anxiety. Um, And so some of these pieces of what you're talking about, sorry, like I said, I don't have this full thought fully formed of how this fits perfectly in, but it kind of speaks to the same thing of right when we're talking about um, self-esteem and anxiety, there are, I was looking, I was trying to like do some research on this for this talk. and uh, like how, um, oh, again, I'm trying to form this thought of how, what I'm trying to say. So I was looking into like, okay, with like the um, Black Lives Matter and with the Me Too movement, right? A lot mm-hmm. of this women having higher rates of anxiety disorders, except for social anxiety disorder, um, mm-hmm. and lower rates of self-esteem when they do measures of this, um, and how it kind of fits into the same piece of like women having less power in our culture and so and then having fewer resources. So of course mm-hmm. it would make it feel like coping is more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like we're saying like this is not, how am I trying to shoehorn this in? This is not, yes, it kind of makes sense that you would have higher rates of anxiety and lower rates of self-esteem, given that culturally you do have less power and you do have, you know, fewer resources available. So it would feel kind of natural culturally that that you wouldn't feel like you could cope. Mm -hmm. But it does, right? Like it is saying like that these external pieces are real. Like it may very well be, right? Like Well, I mean, and and honestly, like not only that, but like if you look at like – in the sort of the model of like sort of CBT self-esteem treatment, you know, like, like Melanie Fennell and the, the like Oxford group stuff for this, which, which is kind of the, the people I like for this. Um, they're looking at what are the, what are those like core beliefs 
of what's wrong with me, like like mm-hmm. what what makes me sort of um, not good enough. And the idea that you, you, there's these underlying core beliefs about this is cognitive idea, and that this comes from what you have been taught about yourself, especially totally. especially growing up, right? And so when there's been messages, like you end up thinking a lot of times, oh, well, in the family, parent, but what are the messages that you don't just get messages growing up about who you are and what your value is and what's wrong with you just from close family yeah. members. You also get it from how everyone else interacts with you. Like you're this sponge who's learning who you are and how mm-hmm. you're seen and that this makes this makes sense then, right? And like if there are cultural level things too, societal level, if societal messages about who you are and how valuable you are and what's wrong with you. Yeah. Sure. And it was like, like the, you know, Anthony Hopkins piece that like, yes, he probably did get a lot of these messages, you know, auditioning and things like that, that you're, you're not doing it right. Or you're not good enough. And him saying like, that's not where I'm trying to put my emphasis and my value. I'm trying to put it internally because yes, it may be very valid that you've gotten these messages all over the place that like, you're Mm -hmm. not capable or you're not, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't do these things. And so yes, how hard it is to fight against that, Mm -hmm. um, Right, that like when you've been given these messages from so right that that who you are is not okay. It is really you can't. It's hard to change that. It's hard to and it's hard. It makes sense then. I think it's also what I'm trying to say that it makes sense that this would be harder for you, um, or that you would buy into some of these messages. But how detrimental that is, and how unhelpful that is, um, right? When it because it can lead to higher rates of anxiety and lower self-esteem because people might very well probably are saying things about you about your ability to cope ironically or at least interestingly (laughs) when I was doing some of this research then it fit really well into this narrative for women and thinking about the me too movement when I started to do the research then um for racial minorities and specifically african-americans um african-americans have research shows higher rates of self-esteem than whites and lower rates of anxiety disorders, except for PTSD, than white people. So I don't, I didn't get into the why of that. What yeah. are the protective factors? But I was like, well, this doesn't fit that narrative I was expecting at all. But um, caveat that like African Americans are represented less in research and seek out counseling services at much lower rates than white people. Mm-hmm. So that probably skews yeah. some of the data too. I mean, one one of the things, like again, you you know, with research, right? You also you don't like for guys having less anxiety disorders. How much of that is guys, right? And how much of that is you are not allowed to talk about it? Totally. You know, so so there's and I know culturally some pieces some, that can feed into some, this. Some stuff, some some groups are more likely to talk about it, encouraged to. Some are less likely, discouraged to. So element to that yes that well that's what I mean like who is sought out to be in research studies and who is Mm -hmm. yes there is some like selection bias for some of this too yeah so that might skew some of the data but I just thought interesting and like oh this is going to give me exactly these results where yes it follows like what the cultural um messages are it's gonna like fall perfectly in line with that and it's like oh wait 
for women it does for African Americans it does not at all <laughs> so interesting um, interesting okay yeah but um, yeah so okay. I think this piece of like the overall message that you're getting externally versus yeah what you how much of it you buy into and take internally we don't yeah. really talk a ton about that but I think that that mm -hmm. is a big yeah. piece of probably what's going on so yeah so I'm thinking you know that the the external the external validation thing um it's been it's been around for a long time like it's been called the looking glass self mark leary called it like sociometer theory of like basically self-esteem is your social meter tells you oh self-esteem is basically how many how well people regard you and that's mm -hmm. useful because it can tell you sure like make sure you are around people that treat you well have a good social life Make sure you're validated by people rather than treated terribly by them. Sure, but there's a lot of downsides to being to deriving your self-esteem from self -esteem. external validation. So, if if we agree on that, then we go, okay, well, what about internally based validation, right? Like, what does that look like? How do we go about sort of working on that piece of it, right? Um, so that's like I've been thinking about that a bunch lately. Um, and do tell. so, um, I feel like one piece of it is the values, right? You know, so, so this, this concept around of like, my values are valuable. Well, like, no, I think are more valid. like, like identifying what your values are mm. versus mm. like, well, I'm, I'm not even thinking about it because I'm sure. so focused on what, on what other people value other people value what I'm trying to live up to, trying to get trying to basically feel like I'm I am good enough because other people are accepting of me versus mm -hmm. if you are figuring out your own values and then you start acting in ways that are aligned with what you believe is important then what you're doing is regardless of what other people are saying you are being who you are. Mm. You are doing the things that you think are important. Mm -hmm. And with that comes like a self-validation, right? Yeah. Because you are, you are acting in accordance with what is important and true for you. So regardless of, and I'm sensitive to this partly because when I first came to America, I was very aware of the difference between internal and external validation because I did stuff that was, pretty weird uh to, no. to like 18 year old american yeah 18 year old <laughs> american which was totally normal for from the, the place i had just come from and i was super confused because i'm like people are reacting badly but i think i'm pretty great so <laughs> like, i'm pretty confused here um so but, but like this this kind of idea right of like if you clarify well this is this is what i think is important and mm -hmm. I'm going to act on that, mm -hmm. then you will be proud of yourself. Regardless. You will respect yeah. yourself, like you have self-respect, right? Um, and it will it'll give you, there's a certain anchor to that that allows you to weather the approval to disapproval from person to person in different situations. And if you have, growing from that, if you have sort of a sense of like, well, these are my values, this is my code of ethics. This is how I believe it is right to be. Um, it, it just feels a lot more solid. It feels mm -hmm. anchoring, you know? Sure. 
Um, this is just yeah. interesting because, yeah, I do a lot of times. I mean, it's been harder to do. This is one of the detriments of video. I haven't been able to do the um, values card sort over video. That's definitely like an in-person activity. But um, that's like an activity I often do with clients. Mm -hmm. um, and it, one thing I always have to try to emphasize ahead of time is like, you don't even have to tell me what it is because the fear of them feeling judged by from me for their values because mm -hmm. like because you know if i did this our values might be very different but i'm not showing you my values right now right like you're the one doing it yeah. so yeah. i kind of always have this like spiel ahead of time that like your values are your values it may be different than mine you don't even have to tell me what they are we're really trying to work on like you identifying them regardless of this like external pressure piece and so I, yeah i think that can be yeah getting at some of this of like, are my values the right ones? And yeah. will they be accepted? Totally. And, and what, what I notice sometimes with this, which is another way I can kind of get in the way sometimes is you're asking about values specifically, but people's instinct is to go for goals. Mm. Well, my goals are, I, well, internally, there's an internal lack of validation because well, I haven't got this kind of job and I haven't got this kind of car and I haven't got this kind of relationship and other people do and I should. And, you know, there's this feeling of like, well, um, I can't internally validate myself because I haven't lived up to how I think I must be, you know, mm. which is like that's that's basically you've got your external thing, but your internal is also critical, crushing. And mm -hmm. like, the values are so important. Values, not goals. Values, not outcomes, because they're directions that you're heading in. They're small movements sure. you're making. They're incremental um, versus like, well, no, I can have no validation until I reach this goal, which is 100 steps long. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Being sensitive yeah. to that. Yeah. Yes. How can this be my value even if I haven't done anything behaviorally to like be in line with that or show it? Or have like achieved it. Yeah, yeah, because there's this, you know, and perfectionism comes in here, but this this idea of like, no, no, well, I've got to be at a certain stage before I can validate myself for this. I haven't gotten there yet. I don't deserve validation, mm. which is internal, like shame. lowering, lowering of self-esteem, which is shame, which is self-criticism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a piece of it. So making sure it's values, like valued directions that you head in. And then what small steps you can take to go there and acting in line with that. And like, like literally self-confidence, um, which again, one of the many terms that all seem to talk about the same thing. Self-confidence, if you look at the, um, the sort of the actual um, word-based understanding of it, self is self. Fidence comes from fidelity, which is faithfulness. Con is with. So self-confidence is actually, its real meaning is faithfulness with the self. So it's being faithful to the self. You know, it's not like people think I'm cool or I'm whatever, tough or I'm arrogant. No, it's like I'm acting in alignment with myself. I'm being true to myself. Mm -hmm. And I really think that what that shines, it shines a light out is if you My do values. act in accordance with values, um, and I see this regularly, people's self-esteem starts going up. It affects their mood and their self-esteem starts going up and stuff starts to bother them less. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a piece of it. 
Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to hit the accelerator a little bit because we're rapidly running out oh, of our, our, our time. Slot. Oh goodness. So, we're so good at this. Okay. So yeah. One, one big point I want to make, this is another really big thing that I'm sort of shifting into is coming out of self-compassion and compassion focused therapy. Hey, and, and it is the idea of like, um, we have these multiple selves and how are we interacting with our multiple selves, right? Because what I'm, what you see a lot is um, the self-critical piece of people I work with is very, very active. The compassionate part is not. Mm-hmm. And stepping back and kind of looking at it, what, what I think like an easy way to be thinking about it is, and we may have mentioned it in the past, but is to look at the part inside you that gets hurt, the part that, that the self, the self that the critical side attacks and makes feel bad, that part is vulnerable. So I've started referring to that as being like the vulnerable self. It's the part that feels things, you know. This sounds so Freudian. It me over me. It, ego, it, super it, ego. And I, I feel like all these things things pointed point at stuff from different directions. So we have this vulnerable self. And when we engage in criticism, we basically attack that vulnerable self and that part of us feels it. And so the model that uh, it's been useful for me to think about and work with this is to call it a vulnerable self and in some ways to, to perceive it as being the child that you are internally raising. Hello, Kristen Nass. Right. You sound like such a self-compassion guru. Yeah. And so thinking about it in terms of, well, yeah, if, if it's true that you have this self, the part that you are really suffering, the suffering part of you, the vulnerable part of you, if it's true that that is like a vulnerable child that you are in charge of parenting, then have a look at what you are doing as though... What kind of parent you are. Yeah, what kind of parent you are. Imagine that it was an actual child. So what would you do in not just how you talk to yourself, but what, how you're treating that part of the self. So for instance, right, if that part of you has an emotion, a bad way of parenting would be like, shut up. Suck it up. I don't care about that emotion. I'm going to suppress it. Mm-hmm. A good version would be you would notice it, give it some space. Criticizing it would be bad parenting. Don't mm-hmm. have that emotion that's dumb. Instead of being like, a compassionate, nice one. Well, that's of course you have that. Mm-hmm. And then acknowledging it, it, but not overindulging it too. Of like, oh, yeah. you can't, you poor little thing. You can't do anything. You know, you mm-hmm. can't. Let's just sit here and focus on this problem twenty four seven. It also yeah. wouldn't like go to that piece of it too. It would be the like, oh. I'm here for you. I care about yes. you. We'll get through it together. And 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 uh, nice parenting would would be. Well, maybe there's some, maybe there's a whole bunch of, there's a way to take care of this particular situation, That's show cool. you that it's okay, we'll cope. That's just, that's just with the negative emotions. But in general, a parent is not just like ignoring the kid all the time. And then when they start hurting, stepping in to be nice, they're probably being nice a lot. Well, we try. Right? <laughs> 
<laughs> we're doing a good job. Well, they're, they're probably doing some positive reinforcement of things that they're doing well. They're like pointing out strengths. They are like giving that giving that child fun kind of things to do. Like all these things that are treating that vulnerable part, that child, treating it, reinforcing that it is a worthy a worthy being, right? And so that's a framework I think is really useful, which is what do you just day to day all the time, are you treating that vulnerable part of you as being worthwhile or not worthwhile? And I think it's subtle because it's people would do things with friends, like towards friends or whatever kids or that they would do not do for themselves. Totally. I mean, they, that's they right. Like there's treat a themselves as, way good. of getting at self-interest. Yes. How would you treat a loved one if they were in this situation yeah. or the, yeah, the example we've done a million times of like, if you had a kid on a t-ball team, right? Like yeah, thinking of coach, a child. What mm-hmm. kind of coach would you be? Um, and I've been thinking about it sort of not just in how you talk to yourself, but how behaviorally do you treat yourself? Mm-hmm. Right. I talk about this all the time. Like we treat things well that we value, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So how are you showing yourself that you value yourself? Yeah. Right? In that and, like self-care piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Self-care and taught, you know, treating yourself as though you are important. Remind, reminding yourself of the positive things about yourself, protecting yourself from negative things mm-hmm. and giving yourself positive things. Mm-hmm. These are the way that you treat someone who's valuable. And what happens with that is after a while, because of reinforcement, you start to actually build that up. Mm-hmm. I use this all the time with parents of like, yes, would you treat your child this way? Or yes, would this be what kind of yeah. model for your kid? Okay, then would you do that for your um yeah. this piece of right you are modeling to your child how to treat themselves. And so mm-hmm. part of being a good parent is treating yourself the way you would treat your child. Yes. Yes. Which is which is, you know, very much gets into like self-compassion. But it also um the other piece that it highlights for me is um, both internal and external assertiveness, right? So assertiveness is this way of like protecting and sticking up for that vulnerable part inside you that will be hurt, right? So you, assertiveness is like trying to protect yourself the way that you would protect a child or someone vulnerable. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're like, ah, too, too bad, I don't care, you, you can handle it, that's the message of, like, you're not important enough. And mm-hmm. so the external assertiveness is pretty useful for this. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, this makes me think of, like, all the cultural pieces, too, right, mm-hmm. of, like, having boundaries as to what I am going to engage in, what sort of, right, Yeah. what sort of messages I'm going to take in what sort of situations I am going to put myself in recognizing that like this might be messed up right like this might be really wrong and not okay Mm -hmm. and so am I going to how much am I going to choose to engage in a a system that is treating me poorly I mean to the extent that you have that control and choice Mm -hmm. I mean I think that's that's another that's another like good point too of like 
it's there's a certain level of what you're accepting and not accepting, what positions you're putting yourself in, not putting yourself in. And also, honestly, like what you consume and don't consume, right? Yeah. On, kind of on all levels. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, look at us. We're so meta. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> it's fun to be meta, right? <laughs> well, yes. This just made me think, like, we do talk so much about, like, because we're psychologists, like the individual and what you can do individually. Mm-hmm. But I think that like almost like sociology or social, social psychology piece of it of like the culture does impact how you respond to so many of these things. And so I think that's an important yeah. Yeah. to recognize too. Yeah. yeah. And this, yeah. And that's true. That's true on a, on an internal level. Like if you protecting yourself from the critical part of you, like doing assertive defense of the self or doing soothing activities or doing self-compassion work, you put, you are protecting that vulnerable part internally. There's more like individual social level, protecting yourself from people that treat you as though you are not valuable mm-hmm. and putting yourself around people that treat you as, as though you are valuable. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, there's also. Culturally, like how much, yeah. yeah. What kind of media I consume, where I, spend my money yeah. what I yes mm-hmm. what even like career I have it can even be like where I live yeah all of these totally. pieces of like how much do I want to for as much control as I have like put myself yeah. into these situations yeah and this and this stuff, I'm gonna argue it's you know it's it's worth even though it feels like it's it overlaps it's worth working on I think you know because it like this I saw some studies where if you work on um, CBT for self-esteem, and I would probably argue metacognitive uh, for for self-esteem, it helps with both anxiety and depression mm-hmm. because these things overlap. You know, they play into each other as we talked about at the beginning. So it's worth like thinking about this piece, especially if you know you haven't got as much opportunity for exposures. You might have more opportunity to work on treating that sure. vulnerable part of you well and yeah. anchoring anchoring yourself in your values and like creating that solidity. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it uh, makes therapy more interesting because you're not doing the same thing all the time. Totally. Yeah. There's layers and you can get meta. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Cool. Um. Okay, I'm going to ask you real quick. What's your takeaway message? Was that it? I think that was my takeaway message, okay, yeah. Cool. Great. What's yours? Oh, shit. I hate it when you ask me. Um, why did I ask you? That was so dumb. You're much better <laughs> at it. That's why I ask you. You're so you're much better at, like, thinking on the fly and mm, wrapping it up. Don't, it's not my strength. Don't, don't, don't be critical to yourself like that. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, is, is there anything else that you're like, oh, yeah, and this is a big piece for me? That, that, that you would point out? Um, no, I mean, I always want to go to like what actually is a takeaway helpful thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think looking at ways of um, addressing some self-compassion can be like a thing you can do awesome. to help with some of this. So. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to advocate for doing a pride diary. Oh. Just kind of like doing a... Uh, Gratitude, gratitude journal. journal. But it's by yourself? 
Yeah, but it said it's picking um, like three things or whatever about that day or the previous day where you're like proud of yourself for doing it. Oh, I love it. It's either taking care of yourself, you either took care of yourself, treated yourself well, or um, did something that was in line with your values. I'm going to like write that down. I love it. Help to build it Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. I I did that personally for about a year when I was in grad school and made a huge impact. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Well, um, thanks for joining us today. I hope you all found this helpful. Um, And yeah, give us a shout out if you have ideas or questions. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. Like us and Marianne at anxietyaustin.com. Huh? Oh yeah, like yep. us and stuff. Yeah, like Office. us and rate things and yeah, uh, uh, Doctor Dr. at thomasprithiman.com. But yeah, do, do all that. The, I don't know whatever it is. Thumbs up. Yeah, subscribe. Or subscribing, all or those things. The various things that, that you know you don't you have know, to talk. The good stuff. We appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, see you guys again in like a month or so. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, see ya. Bye.